Hi everyone, this is Kim C, and you're listening to the Year of Underrated Stephen King. This is a book podcast where your host, a university fiction teacher, is doing her ultimate best to closely read and analyze all the works of Stephen King, beginning first with the Underrated Diamonds. Hello friends, I hope this finds you well. I am coming to you all today with a very wild, harebrained, hard left in my Stephen King coverage, but it feels right and I'm glad to be here. So how this all came about was uh, me, myself, and I thoroughly enjoying my journey for the very first time with From a Buick 8. Oh, folks, I'm about halfway done, and how underrated is that one? Wow. Super impressed and completely excited to chat with you all about that one and blab about all the things, all the thoughts I have. But meanwhile, I'm reading from a Buick 8, got my notebook nearby, and jotting down character names, settings, dates and times, all the good stuff, and I flip back a few pages and run into my skeleton crew notes from a few weeks back, and I had the word goat written all over the place, uh, a couple short story titles, and the word goat in all caps, which of course means an acronym for the greatest of all time for anyone who needs a reminder. So I started thinking about this and wondering why did I write goat? What was I thinking? Uh, What was this really a contender to be a goat? So of course now I've got short stories on my mind and I took a long gander at my Stephen King bookshelf, took a uh, pretty long glance at all my hardcovers and observed a lot of post-it notes sticking out. And for you regular listeners of the podcast, you know that a post-it note, when I put that inside my hardcover, it means there is an A-plus short story connected to it and or a really awesome scene I want to reread or bring up with my students, but typically a post-it note means a fantastic short story and that it's that story is such a treasure I have to be able to jump back there with great haste and relive the magic again in a moment's notice so I've got some post-it notes ergo I had all the short stories on my mind completely distracted me from from a Buick 8 and I just started writing a little list and kind of stopped writing in the middle and said no for shame I can't do a ranking of Stephen King short stories right now because I haven't finished them all it would be inappropriate it would be improper most certainly because I haven't even cracked open that massive boulder sized nightmares and dreamscapes you guys know what I'm talking about. And and yes, because we are an underrated focus podcast, I haven't even blinked upon Night Shift yet, which you guys know, according to many, if not most Stephen King readers, Night Shift is the short story collection that is considered the pinnacle, the cornerstone, the grand dame, the one to rule them all. It is considered one of the greatest Stephen King short story collections of them all, and I haven't read it, so how could I possibly do a ranking without those? So I thought about it, pushed my notebook away, brought it back, thought about it a little more, and kind of said to myself, well, 
What's wrong with a tentative ranking? What's wrong with just a wee list of favorites that we've observed the wrong the, along the way? I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. So, dear friends, I continued to make the list and decided we're going to do a top <laughs> Stephen King short story ranking episode in the hopes that this tiny tentative but decisive conglomeration of titles would inspire Stephen King fans to jump back to these individual short stories. Perhaps you can pull one up in a nice PDF file when you've got a free moment, or, and this is hearkening to my main minister here on the podcast, perhaps you are a someone who has never read Stephen King before, or you just haven't read King in a long time, but I'm really speaking to those who have never read King before, and you're very curious, you're thinking about dipping your toe into the shallow end, and perhaps a few short story titles, maybe one or two, might be a great place to begin your journey. One doesn't have to have a super committed novel experience. You could just kind of try it out and go on a speed date with Steve and uh, give it a go with a short story. And hopefully, my hope, my prayer, all the time is that the power within these short little morsels would be able to clutch you by the throat or by the heart. We'll go with either. And uh, you can hopefully behold what a lot of us have been freaking out about for such a long, long time. So that is my hope with this tentative but decisive ranking episode. All right, everybody, let us now have a little fun. So for today's oh so random ranking episode we're only gonna focus on stephen king short stories short stories only and so what that excludes are the novellas so any title from different seasons four past midnight if it bleeds full darkness stars even though i love that one so much and i love all the other ones i mentioned so much um those anything inside those is not going to be featured at all because those are novellas those are longer works in the novella arena i analyze those like baby novels and so i they it's no so (laughs) the novellas are not going to be featured in this ranking the novellas are just a different breed of cat and i will just dissect them at a later time Uh, So if you're kind of hungry for any of those favorites to pop up, they will not be featured here, perhaps later. We're going to have an entirely separate ranking for novellas because I feel very, very differently about those. We have to just, those, oh, those novellas get a huge slice in my heart and uh, we're going to analyze them a little bit different. So what we will be discussing here are the standout superstars from the short story collections we've covered on the podcast thus far, as well as a few outliers. I've definitely found a couple randoms 
a couple King short stories that are not connected to any collections and that were just floating in magazines and I've had one or two lovingly sent to me by you guys, the dear listeners of which I'm so immensely grateful. So I've just kind of haphazardly found them and uh, or they were sent our way. So we're going to take a look at those. So now that you know what's going to be featured, short stories only, this is how this ranking is going to work. I have to preface this because this is unique. I know for a fact it's unique because I'm a very unique and happy little unicorn with a very strange way of going about things. So I got to explain the method to my madness so we're all on the same page here. So how it's going to start is in the next section, I'm going to start this ranking with honorable mentions. Uh, So as you guys know, your host Kim C typically follows the Olympic standard. It's something I like. I like this, uh, this ranking standard. And of course, I can't make it that simple. I've got to skew it a bit for my own wacky, although it feels right to me, purposes. And you've observed this wacky standard if you've listened to my top nine Stephen King novels. (laughs) It's top nine for an extra special reason. You'll find out on that episode. But if you've listened to that one, you know exactly how I work. Uh, So I have the foundational ranking system of gold, silver, and bronze. That's what I like to stick to. However, I have five in each zone. Five gold, five silver, and five bronze. And because I always give myself a little wiggle room, there are always a few that I adore, but they just miss the podium. They just, I love them so much, but they do not get... Uh, to sit at the table with the other medal winners, the medalists. That sounds wrong, medalists, but medal winners, they don't get to sit there. They're kind of off the stage, but we still love them. So of course, I have five honorable mentions, which, uh, if my math is correct, that gives us a tentative top 20 Stephen King short story ranking today. However, I've been struggling with this because technically I've got five gold, five silver, five bronze, five honorable mentions equals 20. However, I don't know if the honorable mentions are going to count, right? I think that they need to just be mentioned, but they're not going to be uh, included in the count in with the other medal winners who are si- sitting at their glorious uh, assigned tables, right? So I think we're going to call this a tentative top 15. And so by all means, I'm going to heavily emphasize the word tentative. I've probably said it four times at least by now because I know that as I continue to read more Stephen King short stories as my journey continues, I just know there are going to be several on this list, perhaps even half on this list. That's not going to survive the next ranking. It's very possible, especially once I read Night Shift. I'm prepared, um, as well as super thick nightmares and dreamscapes. There, there just has to be some diamonds in there, um, as well as there's other outliers floating around that I, I don't even know. Like I haven't, I haven't even read Red Screen or, or that one that came out last year. Like there's just so many out there that could definitely knock these out of the rankings. 
I'm aware. I'm prepared. I'm certain that the tides will most certainly shift in time, but I really feel this is the right move to make right now. I just really want to get some favorites ranked uh, and some of these gems listed for all of you in the hopes that you can have a look back and reread these stellar, stellar short stories that make me fall in love with King 10 times more than I ever thought possible. Uh, The short stories make me adore this man on an entirely new level. So once more, and thank you for sticking with me, as I've mentioned previously, I'm going to start this ranking with the honorable mentions. I have five Stephen King short stories that we've read. Um, The ones that are honorable mentions are somewhat recent. Uh, Some we read a while back. Some are brand new. They are wonderful, but of course, the stories that get the medal, they were just much stronger. So in the next section, I'm going to give you the title of the story, the original publication date, as well as the original publication, if I can hunt it down, as well as a tiny little blurb about what the story is about and why I love it so much. I'm going to do my very best to avoid spoilers, um, but caveat emptor, please uh, tread carefully. Um, I always do my best, but just watch out. So my hope is is, uh, the little blurbs will kind of include why you need to read it, why you need to reread it, and why you definitely need to share it with a friend. After honorable mentions, we will move on to my five bronze, my five silver, and we will conclude with my five winners for gold. And once more, just to reiterate, it's all equal gold medals, or pardon me, it's equal Olympic medals for the winners, equal slices of the cake. So there's not like the top gold or lower gold or fifth gold or fourth silver. No, 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 no. It's it's all equal slices. No one is better than the other. If you're on a particular table slash podium, you made it, right? So the first gold mentioned is the same as the last gold mentioned. So hopefully that clarifies my very strange yet completely personal ranking system. This is how it feels right to me in my heart. When I go to sleep at night, yes, it feels <laughs> it feels like they are correctly ranked. So I hope you guys have fun and enjoy this upcoming list. Let us now head that way and take a look at my tentative but decisive top 15 slash 20 Stephen King short stories. These are the favorites coming up. best buddies let us begin the top stephen king short story countdown tentative but decisive with 
the five honorable mentions. These five selections definitely got my attention when I read them. They didn't quite have what I needed to get them onto the podium, but nevertheless, they need a little bit of spotlight. These are incredibly awesome stories, and uh, let's chat about them a little bit. Hopefully in the future, one or two of them might ascend and actually get a medal spot, actually uh, get a seat at the table, or they might fall off altogether. Unknown, but for today, let's get them in the sunshine. So number one, This story can be found in 2015's short story collection, Bazaar of Bad Dreams. Lots of gems in that one. This was originally published in 2009 in The New Yorker, and it's called Premium Harmony. So this one absolutely blows my mind. I love it so much, not because it's, you know, a compelling narrative, but this one is all about style, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, so in the preface before the story begins, Steve kind of says that he was reading Raymond Carver for a little bit. So Raymond Carver is a fiction author that's uh, real good at prose. He was a, let's just say he was kind of like a the, the guy liked to drink, let's say that. Um, and uh, he was a family man, really busy, and so he would just write in short bursts, and they were brilliant. And um, we study him in school for prose. Like, this guy's a prose writer. And it's, it's one of those where you just have to get your microscope out and look at the way this guy arranges a sentence. Look at that syntax and diction and kind of marvel at what he's doing. So Steve is just, you know, haphazardly participating in this guy's style and taking a look at how he does it. And he's like, I think I could do it. And he does. And he writes this story, Premium Harmony, in the style of Raymond Carver. And it blows my mind because Steve approaches writing like musicians approach music. He, he, you know, he just says, I can do it like they can. And he does. And it's great. And it definitely reads like Carver. And I highly recommend you, if you kind of want a more academic, analytical look, if you want to come to my classroom a little bit, guys, uh, let's take a look at Premium Harmony. It's about a older, I want to say they're in their 50s, Uh, married couple. They don't seem exactly happily married, but they're content. They're comfortable. They have a little Jack Russell Terrier in the back. It's a hot summer day and they're driving to the grocery store. Uh, The husband wants some cigarettes. I think they're also getting a toy for either their grandchild or niece or someone in their life. Uh, A quick grocery store stop. Of course, conflict ensues inside the grocery store and Uh, I won't reveal what happens, but it's a very simple story about a grocery store trip. Um, However, stylistically, what a knockout. What a very cool sort of improvisation of Steve channeling Raymond Carver. And I'm just so impressed. I'm just so impressed. If you haven't read Carver, but you've read Hemingway, I want to say they're similar. I hate Hemingway, but that's a discussion for another day. However, I admire, I can respect his style, absolutely. Um, so it, it's it's minimal, It's it, there's something to it. It's I'm also not very fresh on Carver, so my adjectives and my, you know, my breakdown of what he does is probably a little lacking. 
Um, but uh, I know that Hemingway and Carver kind of have some similarities a little bit. So if you like Hemingway, you'll most likely like Carver. Ergo, Steve just decided to riff. And it's amazing. It's amazing to see how Steve can treat writing like music and absolutely blows my mind. Take a look at Premium Harmony, everybody. Number two. This story was actually a recent read for us. It is fresh in my mind, and I really thought it deserved a spot um, somewhere in our ranking, and so it got an honorable mention. This is from 1985 Skeleton Crew Short Story Collection. This story was published in 1983 in Yankee Magazine, which I believe was a gentleman's magazine. I'm, I'm pretty sure. I'm wondering if it was like the Maxim of its day. If you got, gosh, I'm old. Does anyone remember Maxim? Is it still, is it still around? I feel like it might not be, but it was scandalous because it wasn't, you know, fully nude centerfolds, but they got real close, didn't they? So I'm wondering if Yankee was like Maxim, the Maxim of its day. Um, okay, too many tangents. The story, our number two pick that's the honorable mention, um, the second spot is Uncle Otto's truck. Oh, guys, this one was wow. Uh, yeah, a round of applause for this one. This one definitely reminded me of the Paul Thomas Anderson film, uh, There Will Be Blood. It's historical fiction taking place in the early, like, 1900s in Maine, if I'm correct. I might be getting that wrong. It might be the 30s. I think it might be the 30s. Please forgive me if I'm skewing the decades, but this is about two business partners who wanted to carve up all the open land in Maine for to do some lumber business stuff. One of them gets a little greedy, murders the other, classic Cain and Abel. However, there's a, a red pickup truck involved and I'm really loving uh, what King does with cars. We know that there's a lot of sort of uh, infamous cars throughout King's uh, catalog and this one's pretty great so the ending is very oh very cool visual creepy unsettling yet kind of poetic justice a little bit I really loved this I love the historical fiction nature of it I love sort of imagining the time period uh, clothing they're wearing um, just the the greed this one is very green with greed all over the place and very cool story. Really, really liked it a lot. Number two, Uncle Otto's truck. Uh, we're going to jump back to the Bazaar of Bad Dreams for our number three honorable mention, and that is 2010's Blockade Billy. This one is a ton of fun, guys, and the first time I read it, did not like it at all. I just could not even get with it. I, I was like, all right, this is too much baseball for me, and I, I know about baseball. I grew up with a father who was obsessed with it. All of, them, all of us played. My brothers, we all played baseball. We had no choice. I know how the game works. I know a lot of things. However... This is a lot of dang baseball. And um, the first time I read it, didn't really, wasn't really vibing with it. Second time I read it, absolutely adored it. I don't exactly know what happened other than aging, but I think I had a little more patience for it. And what's fantastic about Blockade Billy is the language. 
The language is just so old school American and it is quintessential American baseball, but also extremely, I hesitate to use the word masculine, but male. It's very male influenced. I guess there's a lot of masculinity associated with it, which might be a little alienating to anybody who is not American or knowledgeable about the game of baseball or just uh, who has a very crass sort of um, dude speak. You know, this is this is guy talk. Guy talk is often, um, you know, not for the it's not for polite company, as they say. You know, there's a lot of dirty jokes. There's just a lot of crass expressions. And I think that was alienating the first time I read it. The second time I just suspended all that. And we have a tale about baseball. We have a tale about uh, a team that uh, is doing pretty, pretty poorly. But uh, there's there's a, a catcher, a new a new position filled. And so this catcher, um, he does real good and sort of turns around the team. However, there's something unique about this this individual, this this guy who's got all the fan support shouting blockade Billy. Uh, there's something interesting about him. Uh, and of course, in a wonderful Stephen King twist, we kind of find out what that is. But the language in this is fascinating. I also think Steve writes himself into the story. He kind of uh, pretends to be a sports journalist. I believe he was a sports journalist at one time long ago in the past. So this is a wonderful homage to American baseball. Uh, the language that is used for baseball. So it might be a little alienating to anybody who just isn't familiar with the game um, or isn't a a very (laughs) crass male, I guess. Um, But take a look and definitely engage with the audiobook if you really want to hear this come to life. This is a fantastic experiment with language. I can't emphasize that enough. This is a very cool, cool story, guys. Um, It's okay if you don't really jive with it the first time. Give it a second chance, and it's really something to marvel about. So that is our number three pick, Blockade Billy. Number four, we are still in the Bazaar of Bad Dreams. Guys, we're still there. I love the hell out of that collection, and you can hear it in my two-part episodes a couple months back covering the Bazaar of Bad Dreams. Our number four story was published in 2013, and it is called Summer Thunder. And I really love this one, guys, only because it ticked a lot of boxes for me that don't usually get ticked. <laughs> I, for whatever reason, that sounded terrible. But what I mean to say, this is a post-apocalyptic narrative, but it's short and very elegant and full of full of goodbye emotion, full of the swan song. I think this is a very swan song narrative. Um, our main narrator is in sort of the quiet hellscape uh everything is abandoned and gone 
Um, there's been nuclear fallout of some kind. We are in the Americas. I believe we're definitely in the New England area. And he's just wandering and scrounging. So King doesn't linger too long on the horror of that, on, you know, the the, the captain trips of it all. He he kind of just lets the reader zone in on this narrative, this narrator and his personal breathing in and out looking at the world through his eyes kind of scrounging a little bit but there's no desperation there's just kind of a quiet acceptance and not much really happens except for him encountering a dog which we love although I'm always nervous when we encounter pets in Stephen King works you guys know why Uh, because he usually harms them in terrible ways but uh, this this is a good one. So the man and dog find each other and they're kind of scrounging, wandering. Um, everyone is gone. There is nothing left. And he gives tiny flashbacks as to what might have gone down. But this is a story about saying goodbye in a way that is full of zest and life and beauty and if, if we have a way, if we have the opportunity to go out in a blaze of glory, this is what that story is. And it's a little sad. Well, it's very sad for sure. But we're not really with this narrator long enough for it to hurt. It's more of a feeling of, of respect and joy that this person was able to exit on their own terms in a way that's full of freedom and adventure, maybe a little adrenaline, full of life. And that's Summer Thunder. I really, really liked it. It's small but mighty and it crept into my thoughts and wouldn't let go. And so an honorable mention it is, Summer Thunder, our number four selection. Our number five choice for our honorable mention category is, this is a short story. I don't think it's a novella. It's not. However, this one's a little tricky because it was supposed to have been in Full Dark, No Stars. If any of you Stephen King archivists out there, you can let me know if it's actually featured in Full Dark, No Stars. I don't know. But... I believe this is featured in The Bazaar of Bad Dreams, but its original publication was in 2011. It's called Under the Weather. This one is cool, guys. And this one is dark, uh, which makes a lot of sense because every single novella inside Full Dark No Stars is dark. All caps, dark. So this one, naturally, it would fit in the time it was being written. So Under the Weather is about, um, I believe he's an ad executive or he works in marketing. He's got a pretty fancy schmancy Manhattan high rise. I don't know if it's a penthouse, but they're, they're living large in, in Manhattan in a very nice uh, it's not a brownstone, but um, they've got they've got a doorman. They they're living in a very lovely location in Manhattan. He's taking his dog for a walk. They're complaining of a smell in the building. You guys know exactly where I'm going with that. But what's fascinating about this story is the narrator. The narrator in this story is quickly unreliable. We like him. We are kind of enjoying his uh guiding us through his his life 
but there's something in the background. There's something that the reader knows, that dramatic irony. We know, the reader knows something is not right, but our narrator does not. And that's a fascinating experience. When you are feeling the dread, you know that something is not right. And it's definitely predictable, like you understand what it is, so it's not a big surprise when you find out what it is. However, it's all about the unveiling and the reveal, and you kind of get to read the slow, slow unraveling of this narrator and how he quickly becomes unreliable. So Under the Weather was pretty cool, I was thinking about it. That rounds out our five honorable mentions, everybody. So let us recap. Number one, if you would like to take a gander at a man named Raymond Carver and how King was just magically able to write like him, please check out our number one honorable mention of Premium Harmony found in 2015's Bazaar of Bad Dreams. This was in The New Yorker. What you're going to find out in this countdown is pretty much all of the ones on The New Yorker I'm obsessed with. More on that later. So number one, Premium Harmony. Number two, Uncle Otto's Truck from Skeleton Crew. Number three, Blockade Billy from The Bazaar of Bad Dreams. Number four, Summer Thunder, The Bazaar of Bad Dreams. And number five, Under the Weather. The Bizarre of Bad Dreams. I believe you can easily type in any one of these, get yourself a nice PDF, or if you have a copy of these short story collections, please jump back immediately and give them a gander. All right, those are my five honorable mentions, and now let us flex, let us uh, pop those pop those uh, knuckles and get ready for the real countdown. Our next section will kick us off with our five bronze medalists for top 15 favorite Stephen King short stories. Tentatively. I'll see you there. lovelies let us begin the countdown for the bronze we've got some thrillers on this list i'm excited all right so five selections for bronze and let us begin the countdown with one that (laughs) always every time i start to talk about this short story i start to gasp a little bit my breath is irregular. I start to fan myself because this thing is pure terror. At least it is for me, dear folks. Our number one selection for the first bronze medal, one of five, is from 2002's Everything Eventual. Yep, 2002's Everything Eventual. This is 1408. Oh my god. Okay, guys, so um, if you haven't read 1408 and you like scary stuff, uh, let's get on that, guys. Let's get on that. This is pure terror for me. Um, 
but wow, what a ride. Uh, this story is about a author, Mike Enslin, who sort of makes money by exploiting uh, haunted locations or he he stays there and does a he reports he reports on these haunted locations and he is a non-believer most assuredly 100 percent. he's not into it mike enslin so he decides to go to the dolphin hotel in manhattan uh, which is discussed as the the gateway to hell uh specifically a room uh, by the number 1408 everything about this story is kick-ass guys um this is i think when i speak to constant readers about 1408 there's always something in the room there's a lot of stuff going on in this room but one or two things really get get to people or really stand out you kind of find out that this room is just connected to lots of murder, suicide. It is just doused in dark, hellish energy. And Mike Enslin decides to stay for the night despite being pleaded with by the the main um, ho- hotel concierge. He's actually begging the guy, I implore you, Mr. Enslin, please, please, please leave. Please do not stay here. Frightening stuff. But... Without giving away too much, the phone. That's all I'm going to say. The phone inside 1408. (laughs) You guys, thinking about it just sends my heart pounding, okay? So that's all I'm going to say. 1408 is a fantastic thrill ride. It is done so well. I am so impressed. But reading it scares me to death. And so there's something to that, guys. There's this is this is real terror for for a reader, um, for me as a reader. And I'd like to study why that is. And he's got a winning combination. Steve does a great job of creating the lore behind 1408, as well as creating some very unsettling, cerebral, dark stuff inside wonderful um this one definitely gets a bronze medal maybe it'll rise higher in time but this is found in 2002's everything's eventual give it a read if you haven't give it a reread if it's been a minute and let's talk about that damn phone all right our number two selection for a bronze medal is in 2008's just after sunset that short story collection this one is another thrill ride. We, we have a little bit of a trend uh, thus far in the bronze category. This story was originally published in Esquire in the year 2007, and it's called The Gingerbread Girl. Oh, wow, guys. This one is a blast. It's a thriller. That's all I gotta say. This is a thriller. Um, there's a wonderful protagonist who kind of the beginning of the story starts with the real end of her life to so to speak not exactly the literal end of her life but she's a happily married woman with a young infant daughter and everything implodes her daughter dies her marriage ends and she's sort of left in in nothingness of how to go on how do you go on after epic tragedy and she starts running she starts to run and that's really all she could do she's obsessed with it she's just non-stop running she's you know that's all she really cares about is moving her body escaping the pain 
um, putting her body and mind into such an intense physical state that she doesn't think about her current reality, which who hasn't been there? Um, and she's in Florida, another cool spot to be running on the beach. Uh, but she stumbles upon an open gate in a very nice community and decides to kind of peek in and she sees a nice car with the trunk open and decides to take a gander and that's all I'm gonna say and the rest is a uh, is a really awesome thrill ride it's a little intense it's a little scary um especially for female readers like myself who listen to way too much true crime that's all I'll say there it's pretty much our worst nightmare but this is awesome and really enjoyed it. Love everything about it. And there's something very cool how King connects this character to that nursery school rhyme about, about the gingerbread man. If you guys remember, you can't catch me, I'm the gingerbread man. Um, and I think that's why I think Shrek has the little gingerbread guy, that little character, and he always runs and escape. You can't catch me. I'm the gingerbread man. Well, this is the gingerbread girl and you can't catch her. It's awesome. It's so good. That gets my number two bronze medal. Number three, we are jumping back to the Bazaar of Bad Dreams because I love it so much. And this is a story from 2011. This is a short, hot little number. This is a really sweet story called The Dune. Oh, I love it so much. Number one, it reminds me of Duma Key, one of my all-time top five favorite Stephen King novels. Obsessed with Duma Key. You guys know that. I never shut up about it. But The Dune is awesome. And I want to say this is a little one, maybe less than 10 pages. And we meet, I think it's Judge Beecher is his name. And he has a, a lawyer come by to help him with his will and overlook some stuff. But what we find out is that there's a tiny little dune off just maybe a um, couple minutes away. He takes a little dinghy to it every single day of his life since he was a boy. It's a little sand dune in the middle of the water and he takes a little boat there. But what's interesting about this dune is let's just say there's some very fortuitous stuff being revealed on this dune. So whoever looks upon it suddenly has knowledge that they should not have. And so this young boy who grows into a man, who grows into an old man, and who is a judge um, for the state of Florida, it could be South Carolina, might be getting that mixed up, has this, has had this powerful knowledge um, his entire life. And it's very cool, guys. It's very cool beachy, gothic, dark, and ooh, what a punch of an ending. This one's punchy. Super good. Love the Dune. Definitely a bronze medal. I was close to ranking it higher. That's how much I love this one. This one is a hot, hot, spicy little tamale for sure. Please check it out. Number four. This one is super fun, and this is our... This is not connected to any short story collection. This is a random, and this is one that a listener sent me, of which I'm so grateful. This one was very recently published. Please read it now, um, as you can find it with ease. This is from Esquire Magazine, published in 2020. I know, right? And this is a short story on Slide In Road, is the title. 
So this is another one, as I kind of mentioned in our honorable mentions category. King was channeling Raymond Carver with Premium Harmony. Well, now with On Slide In Road, he is channeling Flannery O'Connor, another kick-ass writer. So Flannery O'Connor has a lot of gems under her belt. You know you've heard her mentioned once or twice, especially in English class. But one story you've most likely read in English class is a story from her called A Good Man is Hard to Find. This is one that we analyzed extensively in literature, and I'll never forget it as long as I live. This is a very dark story that starts out just like a sunny, sunshiny, know-nothing day of a family going on a road trip. There's grandma, there's the cat, there's mom and dad and kids, and they're on the road to headed somewhere, I forget where, but everything is benign, everything is fine, and then of course, calamity. Absolute shenanigans, and it takes a very dark spiral. And that's Flannery O'Connor, and I want to say that was composed in like mid-60s or 70s. The ending is pretty unforgettable. Very dark stuff. So if you want to check out this story, which is on Slide In Road, what I highly recommend first, because you're going to love it, love it, love it so much more, this is what I did when I read the story, because as soon as I started reading it, I, I stopped myself. I was in the middle of King's Magic, and I was like, wait, this feels familiar and of course it was and king says at the very end he was channeling flannery o'connor i believe she may have just passed away forgive me if i got that wrong and she's still with us but king had mentioned flannery o'connor and i was like that's it a good man is hard to find so i jumped back to a good man is hard to find read it remembered how eerie and wonderful it was then i jumped over to on slide in road in like a hotel two ends on slide in road and uh read it and was like oh my god he's done it again he's absolutely taken the magic and brilliance um from a really really profound fiction author an essayist or um a prose titan and uh yeah made some magic in the vein of their magic just like a musical experiment just just like playing music so this is awesome so please i recommend reading flannery o'connor a good man is hard to find and then jump right over to this 2020 esquire piece on slide in road and oh guys ooh, king makes it uniquely dark totally his but yet it's also hers he's paying homage he's tipping his hat it's magical. So On Slide and Road is number four for my bronze category. To uh, round us out, my number five spot, we are jumping back to Skeleton Crew. Uh, if you guys remember this one, I really, really loved, and that is The Man Who Would Not Shake Hands. So this story was published in 1981 in a either anthology or a little short story collection called Shadows. Um, I would think it's just an anthology. We'll say anthology. Anthology feels correct. The Man Who Would Not Shake Hands. Oh my gosh, love the hell out of this one. 
In my Skeleton Crew episode, I talk about how winter's tale from different seasons is described uh, or describes the, the club in quotes. This is a Manhattan brownstone on Bleecker Street, I believe. I always forget the direct address, but this is amazing, guys. This I wish, I wish, I wish, my wishing well is that King would do more with this amazing club, this Manhattan club where distinguished, polite, societal gentlemen gather for billiards and cards and stiff drinks, and then eventually they gather into the hearth room and tell a tale. And the tales are typically insane and totally bananas. And if you've read The Breathing Method, you know exactly what I mean. The Breathing Method is inside different seasons under a winter's tale. It is unforgettable. And so the man who would not shake hands is a separate story with the same roots in the Manhattan Club. So the same sort of the foundation that brought us the breathing method is this is the same one for this story so it's the manhattan club and there's there's a guy and he tells the story of in the early 1900s i want to say it's just recently post world war 1 when everybody's kind of coming back or those who never went at all altogether they're in the city trying to get on with life and there's a man who would not shake hands and you find out all about him and I love the hell out of this guys this was so good I'm obsessed with the Manhattan Brownstone Club and thanks to my friend and dear listener to the show Bryant Burnett he let me know that um yeah there's only two iterations of the club throughout the entire King catalog which breaks my heart because it's genius it's amazing it's just imaginative sci-fi fantasy explosive brilliance right i'm obsessed so if you enjoy the man who would not shake hands jump right over make haste to different seasons and read a winter's tale a breathing the breathing method and those are the only two stories that feature the manhattan brownstone on bleaker street uh, please forgive me if I got that wrong. I need to tattoo the address of this place to my body so I never forget it because I am so smitten for it. It is a wonderful, wonderful fictional location. It, the setting is just fills me with joy. So gothic, mysterious, fantastical, otherworldly. Oh my gosh, I could go on and on. But I won't, at least in the bronze category. So let's take a recap and look back at our five bronze medalists. The the five bronze recipients sitting at the bronze table. Number one, 1408. Oh my gosh, so scary. Every time, guys, every time, all I got, it's like such a Pavlovian response. Someone says 1408, I gasp. Number two, the gingerbread girl. Oh, a kick-ass thrill ride found in just after sunset. Number three, get a little tiny slice of Duma Key and visit the Dune from the Bazaar of Bad Dreams. Number four, on Slide In Road, found in the 2020 Esquire magazine edition. I don't remember which month, but check it out. It's from 2020 Esquire. Read Flannery O'Connor, A Good Man is Hard to Find, first. 
then read on Slide In Road, Let's Talk. Number five, The Man Who Would Not Shake Hands from uh, 1985's Skeleton Crew. It's The Club on Bleecker Street do it. So good. I'm obsessed. I love it. All right, guys, that rounds out our five bronze. Hopefully you're having fun. I am. Let's head into the silver. I'll see you there. Welcome to Silvertown. I'm so excited. These five selections were very difficult to place. Let me tell you, there was a little bit of a knockdown drag out fight between a few of them, a few silvers who wanted to be gold. So it's getting a little tricky. It's getting a little challenging as we head into gold territory. But all five of these selections deserve a silver and more because these ones are so stellar. All right, let's kick us off our very first silver award winner. And this is, of course, jumping back to the Bazaar of Bad Dreams for our first choice, originally published in 2009, Esquire magazine, Morality. So if you guys have a hard copy from a King Collectors out there, if you have the hard copy edition of Blockade Billy, Morality is featured in in that little hardback. This story is bananaballs.com. Guys, this is wild. Um, And by wild, I mean the premise and how it unravels the lives of these very innocuous average citizens. So we kind of have the, in a lot of my Stephen King analyses, I talk about the elderly benefactor. I really love how King channels Dickens quite a bit, where he inserts the usually benevolent, it's usually with a young boy and a grandfather, father, role model, patriarch, who kind of blesses this person monetarily. Significant amounts of money are exchanged, but it's it's a very loving, kind relationship. We do have a couple stories, though, where there's some very uh, vindictive, evil benefactors who kind of dangle a carrot, and we have that in morality. We have a married couple who's a little down on their luck. Um, you know, the bills are sneaking up a little bit, and this woman gets a pretty amazing opportunity from an elderly man she cares for. I believe it's a caretaker role. It might be something similar. And he offers her a substantial amount of money for a very strange request. The reader doesn't know what that request is for quite a while, but it involves filming something. A public park. Something must happen at a public park and she must film it. It must be filmed and returned to the old man in order to get the money. It does go down. It is, it happens and everything falls apart. And that's all I'll say. And this is just, you'll be thinking about it, guys. At least I was a couple days of like, 
why? This is so weird. I love it. <laughs> so morality really surprised me. It dug in there. But this is a very cool um, kind of sinister archetype of the malevolent benefactor. Someone who is going to offer up money, but almost as if the money's cursed. And that's a fascinating uh, sort of plot device within King's work. So this is a really cool story, and I really want to know what you guys think about it. So number one, our first silver medalist, morality. Number two, we need to jump to the Everything's Eventual. This is in 2002's Everything's Eventual, originally published in an anthology called Six Stories in 1997. This story, I've actually had an extensive chit-chat with my friend Matt Hurt of Tower Junkies. We discussed this story because we're both really big fans, and that is LT's Theory of Pets. Oh, this is beautiful, guys. This one is so good. Um... This is one that I love tremendously because the narration is peripheral. So we have a narrator who's telling the story about LT. I believe the narrator is unknown or unnamed for a very long time. And he says, my friend LT and his wife. And it kind of went bad for them. And she hated the cat and he hated the dog. And now, you know, the animals are all they have left. And it's kind of like a sweet sing-songy tale at first. And then it takes a very sinister drop. And by drop, I mean the floor falls out from under you guys. A hundred percent. You are walking on solid ground and the next, there's no more ground. And that's how this narrative unfolds, guys. It is wow it's an experience and i love it so so much the narration is really great but the slow reveal and the very uncomfortable sinister cliff drop at the end is pretty spectacular so i really love lt's theory of pets beautifully written and even more beautifully ended Number three, this was featured in The New Yorker, another winner. This is from 2015 and can be found separately or within the Bazaar of Bad Dreams. This one is called A Death. Oh, I love this one so, so much. Just both hands up, adore. This is another real short one, a total powerhouse and a western. This takes place in Nebraska in the 1880s, I believe, so very desolate, middle of nowhere, and a man is approached by the town, the sheriff, and all his gang for the murder of a young girl, and they cart him off into the jail, and we're just all of a sudden in it, guys. We are in this small little town, in this jail cell, we are with the sheriff and what's going on, and... Oh, wonderful. Another punchy ending. A Just 10 pages of transforming time immersion, historical fiction, so tight. The writing is so tight. Just, oh, we, he just trimmed all the fat. It's glorious. And what I love about A Death is in the author note, King talks about, he has this beautiful little... Uh, visual he inserts with this story about imagining 
story writing, like everyone gathering around a campfire. And they slowly kind of walk up and sit down, and then the firelight illuminates their face. And there's the characters, and then it starts to take shape. Oh, genius. I just swoon for it. A death. Oh my god, guys. I This was almost gold, guys. This was almost gold. I love it so much. Short, mighty, surprising, twisty, immersive. So dang good. Please check out A Death. Number four. Oh, this was another one that was almost gold. This one can also be found in 2008, just after sunset. You can also read it separately. And I believe this one was so famous because it was just such a explosive, um, burst of cool they actually created a comic series a graphic novel series with it um so if anybody has this please let me know i i I need this in my life so we need to discuss this graphic novel series my number four silver medalist is awarded to the short story n the letter n period oh gosh guys this is genius so The narrative structure of this, the narrative decisions that King makes with this just blows my mind. Number one, this is an epistolary story. So this is one that's revealed through journal entries, letters, emails. That's how the whole thing is revealed. So it's all character voice the entire time. That's how we're learning the plot, through character. Genius. This is also an embedded narrative. So it's a story within a story. I believe it begins with the sister of the psychologist who has recently committed suicide. So this psychologist, or psychiatrist, forgive me, the psychiatrist's name is Johnny, and he has recently taken his own life, and he cryptically has communicated with his sister that it's because of his patient named N. He has to, of course, keep the patient's name secret, so he calls him N. And what N has revealed to Johnny has potentially caused him to take his life. Oh my gosh, guys, what is revealed is just a freak show of awesome. And if you are a fan, if you are a fan of Under the Dome, you must, must, must read N. They are connected. There is a correlation. You must. Uh, So if you are recently or have read Under the Dome, please visit N. There's You'll be thankful. You'll be glad you did. But I'm so impressed with the structure of this and the narrative decisions and how it's just character and character voice through through letters, through this uh, epistolary structure. Obsessed, guys. It is frightening. It is suspenseful, unbelievable, uncomfortable, so impressive. And it's just everything in a bag of chips, guys. Please take a look at it. And if it's been a while, do it now. To round out our silver, to to kind of get us ready for gold, our number five pick for silver medal is our skeleton crew read. This story is from 1978, and the story is called Nona. Oh my gosh, guys, if you jump back to my Skeleton Crew episode, oh, swoon. This is fantastic. This story is phenomenal. And I am surprised by why I thought as much because there's a lot of 
brutal cold-blooded murder in this, which typically I have a hard time with. I don't like a ton of blatant, brutal violence, which, again, it's amazing how I'm a King fan because we've got that in spades in a lot of his work. Um, There's a lot of violence in this. However, it's got such a delicate touch. So our narrator is reporting to us from prison, seemingly a life sentence, and he's sort of calmly, collectively recalling to the reader the tale of how he got there. And he was a college student down on his luck. Uh, He's from a broken home. He's from the foster care system. Really has never been set up for success. And decides to make some poor choices one night in college at a diner. But before he makes those poor choices, he meets a beautiful woman. And she's got dark hair, dark eyes. She's just exotic. And she absolutely has captured him. And she kind of inserts herself into his life and influences these poor decisions where impulsively lives are taken. And it's kind of shocking. It's uncomfortable. Um, But this woman, Nona, is kind of driving the whole thing. She kind of takes over a little bit and greatly influences him to, to do these things. And she is the reason why he's behind bars. And this is, oh god, it's so good. And of course, we've got rats, and I know that that doesn't sound like anything to celebrate, but (laughs) for whatever reason, um, throughout my king, my king reading, anytime a a rat, a physical animal rat, the symbol of a rat, anytime they're mentioned, the story's great. I don't know why that is, it just is, it's a fact, it's a thing. Anytime rats are involved, sign me up. So... Nona totally captured me. I was thinking about it for a few days after. It's beautifully written, very melancholic, very um, heartbreak-saturated, but also this, this person, this character, our main narrator, was could have taken such a different path and and yes he really wasn't set up for success most definitely but he's bright and capable and able and um wants to live and wants to live life and yet it's sort of all unraveled in a very dramatic bloody way but yet there's such a delicate elegant touch to this this thing is fascinating for me guys and It definitely needs to be a film, that's for sure. We could get Flanagan all over this and have a really amazing, amazing movie. Um, Nona, very cool, haunting, beautiful, sexy, bloody, unsettling, loved it. (laughs) So let's recap our five silvers. Number one, we've got the wild, crazy bananas strange town called Morality found in the Bazaar of Bad Dreams and also in the hardcover release of Blockade Billy. Number two, jump over to Everything's Eventual to read LT's Theory of Pets. Oh, so good. This one is a peripheral narrator telling the story of LT and how he lost his wife. Amazing. We got to talk about that ending. So you guys check it out and let's have a chat. Number three, jump back to the Bizarre of Bad Dreams for 2015's A Death. The New Yorker was definitely correct on publishing this and it is fire. It is. Oh, I, I wanted to be in that in that buggy in the middle of nowhere, Nebraska, 
following our our protagonist to the gallows. Number four, ooh, this firecracker. Uh, jump over to 2008's Just After Sunset to read the short story N, or just get your hands on it any way you can because this thing is sheer brilliance. The narrative choices, the epistolary nature of this story, how the plot is revealed through character and character voice alone, mind-blowing, you guys. So impressive, creepy as hell. If you've read Under the Dome, you might not be creeped out because we've talked about how the ending of Under the Dome is immensely polarizing. So a lot of people hate it. Understandable. However, N is, it still smacks. It absolutely slaps as the kids say, guys, um, or as the kids say. So please, please, please check out N. Do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. And then lastly, Oh, 1978 and, and Nona. Jump over to Skeleton Crew or get your hands on this very lovely, lovely, bloody, blood-soaked, crazy nutball uh, convict fest called Nona. Yeah, I really, really like this. Can't get it out of my head. It gets the silver medal. All right, guys, uh, we're getting closer. We've made it. Let us now talk about our five golds, and then we'll do a full recap of everybody, and hopefully you can check these out on your own and uh, chat with me about them at underratedsk at gmail or at any of the socials. Thank you so, so much. If you've stuck around this long, let's get gold. I'll see you there. Ladies and gentlemen, let's go for the gold. We made it. We did it. We're here. Let us now celebrate our tentative, our golden word of the day, (laughs) our tentative top five Stephen King short stories. These are the ones that have absolutely captured me heart and soul. They 1000% belong at the top. Will they stay there? Unknown. However, these five stories have definitely raised the bar very, very high. So any future Stephen King short stories that I read definitely have, oh gosh, well, they have their work cut out for them because these diamonds are going to be really hard to reach and to beat. I do believe it can happen, though, because it's King we're talking about here, and he's the best, always besting himself all the time. So for greater dramatics, we will start with the fifth gold, despite the fact, as I mentioned earlier, it's all equal slices of gold, so they're all equal, but I think the number one, you guys might know what it is, but we're, we're, we're going to start with my fifth pick, which of course, uh, it's been popping up a lot in this ranking. We got to travel back to 2015 to the Bizarre of Bad Dreams to find Herman Woke is still alive. Oh, I adore this one so much, friends. Okay. 
Herman Woke, for those of you guys who are not familiar, is a, uh, I would say a pretty, a, a best-selling fiction author. Yeah, I would, we could put him in that category. And he's, I think, one of his most famous novels. He's a historical fiction author for lots of titles, but specifically The Cane Mutiny. That one did very, very well. I believe it won a Pulitzer. So Mr. Woke was uh, extremely prolific and uh, wrote a long time, guys. This guy turned 100 years old and was still publishing. Right around 2016, he released his memoirs at 100 years of age, and I believe he finally passed away in 2019 at 103. This guy, I mean, oh my goodness. So, Herman Woke. So, keep keep that in mind for this story because, oh, it's just so cool. Where do I even begin? So, we have two old poets sitting at a picnic bench at a rest stop, and they used to be lovers, but they're kind of just friends. And then we have an additional story, a, a plot line of these two friends, and they have a couple kids between them, these ladies. They work dead-end fast food jobs, they're both sort of overweight and unhealthy and unloved, and they just want to have a little bit of fun. And so I believe they win some money from a, a scratcher ticket, some lottery, lottery um, serendipitous fortune purchase a rental van and uh, make some very poor choices and that's all I'll say there but the juxtaposition of these characters and this sort of strange um, symbol of Herman Woke who lived a very long time and these people who are kind of on the sad more unfortunate side of life and it's just so good it's rich it's sad it's it's beautiful. I love it. Um, I love what he does. This one's about juxtaposition. He takes two sort of uh, ideas, two kinds of characters, two uh, types of demographics that would never meet and fuses them together in a really shocking way. It's so good, guys. I just adore this. When I read Herman Woke, the second it was over, the second we reached that final sentence, I went right back and read it again. That's how I know I captured some, something powerful. Like, there's steam coming off the page with this one. So please check out Herman Woke is Still Alive in The Bazaar of Bad Dreams, released in 2011, I believe was the publication date. Let me confirm that by glancing at my handy dandy notebook. Correct, it was published in The Atlantic in 2011. Number four, my fourth gold medal goes to another Bazaar of Bad Dreams story. This one is called cookie jar. And for those of you who have uh, heard me as a guest on a couple shows or listened to my Bizarre of Bad Dreams episode, I'm obsessed with this story, guys. I'm so obsessed that if I had the ability to, I don't know, crowdfund my life and make a film and get some people together, this would be my dollar baby. One of these days, I'm going to start tinkering around with the screenplay for this story because holy hell, this thing is rich, decadent, deep, 
fantastical, magical, and it involves literal baked goods. We do have cookies. A magical cookie jar, folks. Sounds a little hokey, sounds a little, perhaps a a little too juvenile. Nay, it is anything but. It is a dark story about grief and world wars and mental illness and family. Uh, I love it. Um, This one's a tricky one. So it was released in the Virginia Quarterly in 2016. It is featured in the paperback version of the Bizarre of Bad Dreams. So definitely type this in and see if you could get a PDF just from the Virginia Quarterly. Uh, If you have the paperback, you're 10 steps ahead. It's not featured in the hardback of Bizarre of Bad Dreams but it is featured on the audiobook. So if you have the audiobook, please heed Cookie Jar. So good. It's my dollar baby. If anybody wants to make a film with me for Cookie Jar, please email me immediately and let's do this. Let's do this. I want to make this a film so bad. So bad. Uh, it's just so rich. It captured me. It's imaginative. It's got everything. It's got historical fiction, fantasy, darkness, grief, love, strangeness, bizarreness, Alice in Wonderlandness. Uh, I, I, I love it. Please check out Cookie Jar. It's my number four gold medal. My third gold medal, this one is a frightening one. Yes, it is, but oh, what a winner this one is. It was 1000% a gold. Absolutely. It was one of the first stories I chose. And uh, to find it, we must go to 2002's Everything, uh, Everything's Eventual. This was once more published in the New Yorker. Of course it was in 1994. And this is the man in the black suit. Oh my god, guys! Okay, so if you haven't read this, please just do it now. Do it today. So, this one uh, absolutely wins me over. It's got that wonderful, melancholy first-person narrator that we love from King. He's reporting to us from 80-plus years of age, and he's recalling the time as a young boy when he met the devil. And it's exactly as, yeah, that's how kind of King leads us into the stories with that exact line. And he's a small boy. It's the early 1900s. I don't even know if it's the 1920s yet. And he's, he grabs his little basket and decides to go fishing. He's in his little overalls. And by the, the creek or riverbed that he's at, he travels quite a bit from his house. He even leaves the family dog behind. And he meets this very frightening man, question mark, in a black suit. And it is unsettling, but beautifully written. It's haunting, hauntingly good, guys. And oh, for all of my Pennywise fans out there, for all of the, the Randall Flagg folks, for all of the big bad King lovers out there, you need to take a gander at what he's cooking with this guy, this man, question mark, in the black suit. Very, very unsettling, um, but so wonderfully written and rich, deep, heartfelt narration, melancholy, memory, 
uh, the, the those moments in life that you you know how we love King and childhood drama. We love it because he just does it better than anybody else. We've got all of it. We've got childhood trauma. We have melancholy first person narrator, creepy little story, and oh, it's just ra- it's just wrapped together in the most beautiful package. And I believe it received a pretty big award. Um, I don't know if it's the Bram Stoker Award, something. It, it won a pretty, it's it's won some pretty significant literary awards because it's that kick-ass. If you have not read The Man in the Black Suit, do it now. It is one of his more, I think, uh, frightening tales. Tread carefully if you are someone who is one of the uh, opponents of reading frightening things. Because uh, I hear that a lot. Every time I meet a non-King reader, I always get that phrase, I don't like scary things. I don't want to read anything scary. I challenge you. I challenge you, everybody, those out there who are interested, just give it a couple pages. See how you do. There's a lot of good historical fiction in this, and I promise uh, there's no child violence or anything that's going to scar you forever, forever. But uh, it's just beautiful. It's fantastic. It's 10 out of 10 for me. It's our third gold medal, The Man in the Black Suit. All right, uh, my second gold medal, this was very recent. So for my Skeleton Crew listeners, we just completed this collection a few weeks ago, and this story will not leave my mind. I have looked at it a few times it is heart-stoppingly beautiful and oh there is something so special about this story i am so so glad i have read it it it, it just won't get out of my mind and i feel very comfortable putting it quite high in 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 the gold medal area this story was originally published in 1981 i believe there was a um, I don't have the title of the individual collection. I know my King archivists out there know what it is. Um, but this, of course, is 1981's The Reach from Skeleton Crew. Oh my gosh, guys. We just have this uh, wonderful old woman who has lived off uh, on the island. Of course, I'm drawing the blank on the name of the island right now because, of course, that happens uh, in this particular moment. But uh, it's not Little Tall. I love Little Tall. Um, it's it's another cute little name of an island off the coast of Maine. She's lived there her entire life. And the mainland is just um, not that far away. Just a very short ferry ride, I believe. And it's separated by a reach, a body of water. She has never, ever, 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 ever in all of her 80 plus, perhaps 90 plus years left the island. She just didn't see the need to. And so stuff starts to happen in the final sort of last climactic moments of her time here on Earth that's kind of leading her to cross the reach. Like, you should cross the reach. She doesn't know that the end of her life is coming. This is not a spoiler. King lets us know that this is going to occur in the first few sentences of the story. So that's sort of our plot device, is this woman is approaching the end of her life and is things are leading her to consider crossing the reach to the mainland 
because she's sort of reaching the end. And there is just so much small town beauty for for us regular King readers. You know that he does. He pretty much uh, spins straw into gold with small towns and small communities, especially island folk. Um, one of my all-time favorite, favorite, favorite Stephen King adaptations is um, Storm of the Century. It came out in 1999, and that takes place on Little Tall Island in the midst of a great snowstorm. It's the best thing since sliced bread. And here we have another sort of island community with one of its matriarchs deciding to cross the reach. And she's a fantastic narrator. There's so much cultural colloquialism. It's just regional and magic, and I love what King does with language here, but there's just so much heart here and emotion, and this woman looking back on her life, not only as being a wife and a mother and a citizen of the island, but just the people whose lives she was connected to for decades, and what that is and how it's really, especially, you know, isolated small communities, it, it's more and deeper than family. It's something else entirely greater than family. It, it's amazing and lyrical, beautiful, rich, deep. Oh, please read The Reach, guys. I could not believe it. I was making my way through Skeleton Crew, a little cranky, a little bratty. And then in the second half, I get to Survivor Type, which the more I think about Survivor Type, guys, I really like it. I don't know if I expressed that. I know I expressed some disbelief with Survivor Type. Survivor Type, of course, is about the uh, the story of a drug dealer slash surgeon who's shipwrecked on an island off the coast of the Philippines, and he starts to amputate parts of himself and eat them. Sounds a little crass, a little wild, a little bombastic, I know, but um, I actually really enjoyed it the longer I think about it. Uh, I, w- I love epistolary stuff, and that was done in hazy, sort of drugged out journal entries. I I really like Survive Type. Anyway, I'm getting off track. So I'm making my way through Skeleton Crew. I'm super duper cranky. And then of course I start to find this gold, these amazing stories in the second half. And then the reach is the very last story in Skeleton Crew, at least in the American hardcover. And I'm just... Uh, I, I, I'm just mouth agape. I, I close the copy of the collection and my mouth is just on the floor having read The Reach. So it is a gold for me. The bar is very, very high. And right next to The Reach is our number one, our number one gold pick, uh, joining the five gold in this wonderful category. And that is another skeleton crew short story that I've read for, well, I've now read it several times, but I've only recently read it as richly and deeply and closely, uh, recently. It's only, it very recently happened. Mrs. Todd shortcut. Yeah. Yeah. Remember, remember the beginning of this episode when I wrote down goat, I, I wrote down goat next to Mrs. Todd's shortcut. G-O-A-T, greatest of all time. I wrote that next to Mrs. Todd Shortcut. That story, friends, we're on a whole nother level, let me tell you. 
another level, another level of of it all, uh, of of lyrical language, cultural colloquialism, really strange, bizarre, potentially dark tower connected, fantastical narrative. And we have Mrs. Todd and a, a random character who was taking care of her home because it's a lot of summer people who are in this area of Maine. And so you've got the the lifers, the people who live there all the time, sort of caretaking. And Mrs. Todd was, seems from the story, wasn't exactly in a super loving marriage. She was in her 50s plus, so a comfortable marriage. And she had a little Mercedes coupe, I believe it sounds like. Uh, a little gold go-devil, as the story quotes it multiple times. Her little go-devil. And she zooms all over the town and the back roads. And she's very involved in the community. She's a very vivacious presence. And something starts to happen with her driving around town and loving a good shortcut, uh, examining the maps and trying to get there faster in a shorter time, a shorter amount of distance, and all of these uh, these residents who live uh, in the town are like, that's impossible, um, especially one of our main narrators who kind of fell in love with Mrs. Todd through this adventure, through the narrative, and... Uh, I, that's all I'm going to say because I don't want to ruin this because it's fantastic. Um, the language, the structure, the reflection, the uh, very wonderfully cool ending. Uh, this is very visual and very fun. And it just, I challenge anybody to read this and not be thinking about it for a few days after. Just wondering where they went what happened and uh why certain people aging sort of stopped and went backward so i've already said too much but mrs todd shortcut guys oh i I, reading that was so special so incredibly special um i i can't get out of my head that one and the reach and uh, the Man in the Black Suit, Cookie Jar, and Herman Woke is still alive. Those are my five golds. For me, the bar is very high. However, we still have a long road to go and a lot of short stories yet to discover. So it is very possible we might not have them uh, as high up. But I I don't doubt, I fully believe that The Reach and Mrs. Todd's Shortcut... And, yeah, I, who am I? Who am I kidding? All of these five are gonna be in the top fifteen. They're gonna be in my top fifteen somewhere. Pretty, pretty much guarantee it. Yep, because it takes me a lot to to declare something gold. takes takes a lot of rumination and meditation, and I really, really have to revisit the text and remember how I felt and and uh, sort of cross-examine between the I really thought about this a lot friends so I'm feeling pretty good Mrs. Todd Shortcut is wow 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 uh blew me away all of these golds have blown me away let's do a lovely recap of them all including the five honorable mentions that did not make the countdown so we'll start from the gold and work our way down once more 
standing ovation. Let us applaud all of our winners. Mrs. Todd Shortcut, 1984, Skeleton Crew, The Reach, 1981, Skeleton Crew, The Man in the Black Suit, 1994, Everything's Eventual, Cookie Jar, 2016, The Bazaar of Bad Dreams, or The Virgin New Quarterly. We'll, we'll go with the collections if we can. Number five, Herman Woke is Still Alive, 2011, The Bazaar of Bad Dreams, for our silver, let's flip this over here. For our silver, Morality 2009, found in the Bazaar of Bad Dreams, also in Esquire. Our number, let's see, seven, LT's Theory of Pets. That's from 1997, found in Everything's Eventual. Number eight, A Death. Another New Yorker, 2015, The Bazaar of Bad Dreams. Number eight, N, the letter N. That is found in Just After Sunset. I believe, what year was that? Let's say 2008? Um, don't know. Uh, questionable year. Might be 2008, might be earlier. Maybe 2007. Let's move on. Number 10, we have Nona from 1978, found in Skeleton Crew, or also in the anthology Shadows. For our number 11, Bronze 1408, gasp! Head over to Everything's Eventual to read this 1999 short story that just terrifies me. So good. Let's see, number 12, The Gingerbread Girl, 2007, found in Just After Sunset, or also in Esquire. Number 13, The Dune, 2011, found in The Bazaar of Bad Dreams. Number 14, On Slide in Road, found in 2020's Esquire. Also, sampling Flannery O'Connor's A Good Man is Hard to Find is strongly recommended. And number 15, The Man Who Would Not Shake Hands, 1981, in the anthology Shadows or in Skeleton Crew. Once more, revisit the Manhattan Club on Bleecker Street. For our five honorable mentions, number 16, we have Premium Harmony, which came out in 2009. Another New Yorker pick, yup, yup, yup. Also found in the Bazaar of Bad Dreams. For number 17, Uncle Otto's Truck. 1983, first published in Yankee, found in Skeleton Crew. Number 17, nope. I just said 17. 18. <laughs> Blockade Billy from 2010, found in the Bazaar of Bad Dreams. 19. Summer Thunder, 2013, the Bazaar of Bad Dreams. So, so good. And 20. Under the Weather, 2011. Uh, this was supposed to be in Full Dark No Stars, but we have it in the Bazaar of Bad Dreams. Oh, it's a winner. So, those are the five honorable mentions five of the 15 20 altogether but there we go those are the gems those are the ones that all have post-it notes in them in my hardcover editions and i just pop back to them as quickly as possible 
and enjoy 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 oh i hope you guys had fun i'm excited to know what some of your favorite stephen king short stories are perhaps some of these might be slightly controversial i might ruffle some feathers here with how high i rank certain stories and how low i might have ranked others or those who didn't make my top 15 at all i yeah i know there might be some controversy but once more i have not read skeleton crew oh yes i have what am i saying i have not read night shift i have not yet read night shift i know i know i know and i've not read nightmares and dreamscapes so still a long road to go i'm excited to get there and we'll see how the top 15 shake up i definitely know myself and it's going to be a top 30 once i finish all of stephen king's short stories it'll be a top 30 where we'll have 10 gold 10 silver and 10 bronze because that'll be my that'll be what i do just to include as many favorites as i can that's all i have for you guys thank you so much for listening to this wacky zany brainy out of the blue ranking i just wanted to get them out and uh out there to all of you if you uh would like to say hi uh please reach us on any of the socials i'm uh pretty active and always checking so i would love to hear your takes on these as well as any recommendations of any outlier short stories that i haven't connected yet or found or read i am always ready to dive in uh, if you haven't already, please share the show with a friend, especially a non-King reader, and hopefully they can get something out of this countdown. Hopefully, hopefully, they'll explore some of one of these titles. Just one. I, I'd be completely content if we just get one, just one, uh, one person to read at least one title or check one out. Just, just get a little PDF open on their browser. That'll, this episode will be a success. If you head over to Apple Podcasts and give the show a five star, that would be grand. And if you would like to say something kind about the show, that would be even more grand. That would be golden. All right. No more cheese, but thank you guys so much for listening. I had a ton of fun. I hope you are enjoying enjoying uh all the things on the show i hope to hear from you guys until next time i will talk to you soon take care wherever you are and we'll see you again bye